So some of you know we've teamed up with Picks, and that is PicksShop.com. There's an app, and we are working on the app with them. The coolest thing about it is we get to have meetings and go through design stuff and see how we can fix the UI UX. But there is so much technology behind this app, and like I can't even get it to you in a minute of everything that's going on. But if you do tastings, you could do tastings, you could do posts and just say like, hey, I'm drinking this tonight. But if you do tastings, the app is going to start matching you to bourbons that you are going to like. You're going to find emails that come through that say, hey, you liked this one a lot. You might like these two. As you're searching through, you're going to see the percentage of like how well you match to the other people that are tasting and the other drinks that they are tasting as well. So this thing is so cool. It gives you recommendations. You could see how your friends rated things. It's just a fun way to interact and drink whiskey together, even though we are all virtual sometimes. You know, you could do it with the people in your neighborhood. You could do it with people across the country. Picks is so much fun. And go to PicksShop.com. Download the app. It's only for Apple right now, but we are going to get it for Android eventually. Go to PicksShop.com. Download the app today. Have fun plans for the outdoors? Make the memories last with the best outdoor coolers and drinkware. Celebrating 10 years of cool, Orca was founded in 2012, born from the idea of making a hard-sided cooler that beat out all the rest. Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class maximum temperature retention. Orca's drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours, and they look great while doing it. Their stainless steel vacuum-sealed tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to orcacoolers.com backslash bourbon for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com backslash bourbon for 15% off. Orca, make it last. What you got for me, Zeke Baker? So I was kind of surprised. I was listening to the radio today, and I've actually been meaning to bring this up because you know I've driven home with the kids a few times this summer, and I go through Podunk, Alabama, to get there from you know Northwest Georgia from Nashville. There's a couple of produce stands I'll go through in like little like Sand Mountain, Alabama. It's a flashing light four way stop. There's always a produce stand, but then they have these signs up saying 24 hour cameras on site. Like it's a produce stand. Like what's really going to go on here? What somebody stole some apples or something? Like come on, it's not that much money in the day. Well, tonight, coming home from the Y on the radio, they're talking about somebody, I think, in Ohio or Illinois, some like 67-year-old woman that literally was going up to a produce stand, and it was one of those, like, you know, on your honor, good faith kind of things. You know, throw some money in the box for whatever you grab. Well, she would act like she was making change, but then pilfer out of the box. And then even better, grab produce on the way out. And they got her on camera taking like over $2,500 from like a little mom and pop produce stand. And I'm like, shit, those cameras really are worth it. Like, man, and I would have never thought that in my life. Like, what kind of person steals from a produce stand? Even better, 67. So she claims dementia that she never remembered being there and then she couldn't drive. On the camera, she drives up and drives away every time she hit up the shop. I think Ambien would have been a better defense than you know, dementia. You know, like always claim the ambient defense it just like really looped in like all right here's something i was gonna bring up to john like for the past two or three months like this story really hit the nail on the head like come on man don't be, don't be robbing a mom and pop produce shop Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, the man who robs women's hearts around America, Zeke Baker. And together, we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. You know it's good when I got Zeke to completely go off screen. Beat red face. We love you, Zeke. How are you, my friend? Still alive and kicking. Well, we have a very old friend and a new friend on this show tonight. I'm very excited for this. It is our friend from Big Machine Distillery, Mark Borchetta. And then we also have, I got it right this time, didn't I? Oh, you wait, you're the Borchetta. Sorry. I'm the Borchetta, John. <laughs> I am the Borchetta. My brother is the Borchetta. The whole family is Borchetta. Therefore, the Borchetta bourbon and not Borchetta bourbon i mess this up every damn time and you like next time you see me you could absolutely hit me in the arm 
It's okay. I deserve it. Um, can I hit you in that tricep that you burned out earlier today? A hundred percent. You can, I'll, I'll allow it. And then we have Clay Cutler, who is the distiller at Big Machine Distillery. It is awesome to have both of you on. How are you? I know Mark already started talking because I'm a jackass, but sorry, buddy. And I match you in jackassness. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Well, thank you. And I know since we've only been friends now professionally and now, you know, getting more than that for the last year. So I know that when you said very old friend, you're referring to my age. So thanks for that compliment. <laughs> I'm just over okay. two. Zeke, you want to just step in here? Like, I know it's not 30 minutes, but I might need you, buddy. I mean, I think in this day and age, a, a year that qualifies or quantifies, whichever you want to use as a, a longstanding relationship. Like, I know that guy. I can say my name or he can say his, which I hope he says it correctly because clearly John can't. And I'll be like, yeah, that time we bullshitted for an hour or three over some booze. We're tight. We can hug it out, talk about life and the world, and we're good. Well, we did hug it out. Saw you, saw you at the bourbon thing. You knew who I was. So, yeah, we are fully considered <laughs> friends for, and we're old friends. And so cheers to that. Absolutely. And then the man of many, many words. I mean, we've been sitting on here for about a half an hour. And I think he said hello and that he was at the distillery. But Clay Cutler, we're sorry for keeping you there so late. Welcome to Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Thank you very much. It's it's nice to meet you, John, and you, Zeke. I'm proud to be here. I know that Zeke kind of scared you a little bit. Are you okay? I'm getting over it. It's uh, <laughs> it's going to be okay. It is way past my bedtime, but I'll be all right. So. For those of you that don't know, I mean, in the talk before, we were sitting here, Mark Clay and I were waiting for Zeke. Surprise. He is fashionably late most of the times. And he came on and his screen was black. Mark said, what do you think he's doing? I'm like, well, you know, knowing Zeke, he's probably putting his shirt on. And then Mark said, like, I, I hope he has a shirt on. And then one of the first things he did, we were talking about some injuries that we had. And first thing Zeke did was take off his shirt to show everyone his shoulders that are still not not correct from when he hit the tree skiing in january i hit the ground not the tree thank you whatever you hit something <laughs> big dummy mark clay how have you been what's going on we know that the second version the the second batch well it's not batch because it's all single barrels so the second edition of borchetta bourbon came out and you had the race the race came to Nashville, the Nashville Grand Prix. This always gets released every year around then. Tell us what's been going on with you, what's been going on with Big Machine. ton of good news. Well, you know, last year um, when we did this, uh, as some people may recall, if there are fans of our bourbon, uh, as you pointed out, took me a little bit to uh, do this podcast to kind of relax with you guys because, you know, when you come out with a bourbon that's a story that's an you know it's not just about the juice it's not about our pedigree as brown spirits producers it's about hey we think we're cool because we're race car people my brother and i we grew up racing since we were 10 years old we've been fans of the you know the legendary drivers in indycar nascar formula one you know since we were seven years old and we said hey how cool is this we're sponsoring the big machine music city grand prix IndyCar race here in Nashville. Let's do a bourbon tied to racing and let's put a race car on top of it. You and then have the audacity as I did to say, I'm going to sell it for $300 a bottle retail. You know, we knew we were going to be a little bit of a target, but what I had was the confidence in the juice that Clay's been making for 10 years, 11 years. And we left it at cast strength everything single barrel. And we only had a thousand bottles to produce. So we put it at that. And, you know, the story goes that, you know, our local distributor didn't want it. Best brands. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and did I say that out loud? <laughs> you need that cough more in there. <laughs> yes. Best brands. Um, and, uh, they said, it's not going to sell. And I said, well, it doesn't have to sell. We're fortunate. Enough. We'll just put it in our tasting rooms and, you know, dole it out over the decades and it sold out in two hours. And since then, we've been getting great accolades from people who have drunk it. We entered it into three awards uh, for design and or juice and won gold, double gold, best brand spirit uh, in all of them. And uh, so that makes us really proud. And so anyway, I was nervous when we got on this call the first time that you guys were going to drop some bombshells and attacks. And I don't know if it's because I started convincing you guys that, yeah, we did something from a cool marketing standpoint, but this juice is good. 
we're real. Clay's been experimenting with red, white, and blue corns. We've got some good stuff going on. And so then I realized you weren't going to be attacking and that you're like, oh, okay, you're serious. So then I loosened up. But anyway, since then, like I said, we sold all of it except down to less than a hundred bottles and realized, oh my gosh, this has to last us forever. We better, I said, just bring the price up. You know, if somebody wants it because they're a collector, they'll do it. And we put it at a thousand dollars a bottle and we sold seven of them within like two weeks or something. I'm like, oh Lord, put it at 2000 just because we need it. We need to have some for the rest of our lives. And we sold a bottle this week and over the race weekend sold some. So that's what's been going on from that standpoint. So we realized we had to do another one. This year, we still took that same grape juice, tasted more bottles. This year, we were able to get some of the red corn in and the blue corn. And uh, we dedicated this one for all you racers out there. Because, of course, who doesn't tune in to the dad's drinking bourbon except race fans? <laughs> we went with... Um, the very first car to ever go over 200 miles an hour at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it was in 1972. And you say, okay, well, that's random. Why? Well, we actually own that car. So it's really neat to have a car that we own driven by a family member of an iconic family that we've idolized since we were kids. So we decided to talk about our relationship with the Unser family, Al Unser Sr., Bobby Unser, and Al Unser Jr. And the bottle I'm holding here in front of us is signed by Al Unser Jr. and myself and my brother. I got to get Clay to sign the back of it at some point because there's room for one more signature. So we're thrilled. And uh, this year we did 2,000 bottles, which is the most I've told my brother, I'm never going to do more than 2,000 bottles. And we opened it up to two other states and again the the take was so fast on it everybody just grabbed it instantly well the thing going back i know you've been talking for a minute you know going back we knew you had a distillery right and we knew that i was telling you this too before that value is going to be what is the price that people are willing to pay for it you know at the end of the day that's what it is I could say something about $300 bourbon, but I could say a lot about $300 bourbon for about 50 distilleries. So, you know, in this day and age, it's kind of hard to to go there. It's just if people are willing to pay for it, I think at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is number one, is the juice good or not? Figure that out. And then what is the value that's assigned based off of you know how that juice is to you? We weren't going to rail on that. I, what we try to figure out at the end of the day, especially with what I would call a quote unquote celebrity brand in the sense of like, I'm a celebrity. Yes. But I mean, you are, but there's a, a sense of it where you, you have people like that and you always kind of like try to figure out. So I think there's an apprehension on both sides and it's almost like, okay, is this person real? Like, did they just buy a distillery because they needed something to do and they wanted to put their name on something? That's kind of where we're looking at it. And then you're looking at it like, well, do they think we just bought a distillery because we needed something to do? And once you have that moment where you figure out, you're like, no, I'm in there. I'm with Clay. I'm tasting through these. I'm figuring out the ones I want. I'm selecting the barrels that end up becoming Borchetta bourbon for the year. Like that is where you kind of go like, okay, he's not one of those guys who buys it and he's there for the interviews, but you know, everybody else is doing all the work. And there is a mutual respect that comes from that at the end of the day, where it's like, we look for people that are real and, and passionate about what they do. And if you haven't figured that out, like in the first episode that Mark is real and he's passionate about the whiskey, all the other stuff, it's, you know, there's no bombs. It's just like, I think that's the beautiful thing about whiskey is like the people we've interviewed on the show. We've interviewed celebrities who have brands. We've interviewed, you know, Joe Schmoes that are just trying to, to bootstrap it. And the bottom line is like, I've had celebrities where we literally cut out like a good 30 minutes of where it was like, all right, this is all off the record. What stores do you go to? What are you doing for this? Where, where are you finding this? And it's like whiskey is this beautiful unifier for so many people. And I know I'm rambling on this, but I mean, I, I mean this all the time. And this is one of the best things I love about this podcast is that whiskey is this great unifier. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you're passionate about it and you enjoy it and you're knowledgeable about it, you got a bunch of friends. doesn't matter if we've been friends for a year or 10 years, we're friends. Well, and I think the passion is great for me because we do have Clay. Again, when when my brother bought the distillery in 2015, you know, Clay 
had put his heart and soul into this and uh, he was a big fan of brown spirits and initially and i don't mind saying it he was not a fan of me because my brother asked me to come in and help market you know everything and he had really quality spirits truly the um you know we have some barrel aged gin that he was doing plus his regular gin and it's american style you know spicier you know um type of gin citrusy and not overly juniper, you know, type of gin. He's got these moonshines he was making and everything he made was great. But I put all that on the back burner from a real big growth standpoint to bring in, you know, the financial stability into the company. And uh, we talked for a while and then I'd always, he'd say, when are we going to do Brown? And I said, I want to make sure we have a story. So Clay, you know, why don't you share some of and and don't hold back <laughs> on uh, you know how all that came about and and your passion for brown spirits? Well, it was in addition to that, you know, we remember you also didn't want to have the brown spirits become successful overnight, and that's an exaggeration. But I remember you saying many times, if this goes the way I think it's going to go, and we put it out there and people like it, which we are confident that they will. And I was confident that they would, too. He said, we can't be caught with our pants down and not have enough to keep distribution going. And so it was kind of hard for me to accept and appreciate that in the beginning because I'd worked so hard up to that point. We all work so hard. But I, I see, you know, in retrospect, the wisdom in that. And uh, obviously, everybody's uh, business plan is different. I respect that, too. I just appreciate that now it seems like the time is kind of developing into the right time that we all were hoping would come. We've got the clear spirits. We've got the borchetta vodka that leads the way. That was your plan all along. And uh, as we open up new territories, which is your job and you're doing it, here we are now with some uh, states that are looking at the, the Clayton James and the borchetta bourbons and the, the bourbons that and the spirits that we will have to come in. I'll tell you, that warms my heart. It's it's uh, thrilling. Well, so Clay, tell us a little bit more about you and tell us more about your story and how you ended up there and where you went along the way. My story goes back in the world of distilling to about 2010, 2011. So we're going to go back to the point where I was, uh, I had left a job. My jobs, uh, most of my life were in, a, in equipment design, process engineering for fields that were not related at all to whiskey or distilling. But as the federal laws changed about 2011, and they said, finally, after this uh, 100 years of not allowing anybody but the big four, five, or six to, to be distilling in the United States, the federal government, you know, eased that law, that restriction. And so I started to think at that time, that's something I think I would like to do. Of course, having the desire to do it and having the money to do it are two different things. But I did find uh, someone who happened to be a family member, my brother-in-law, James Blair Butler. He was the one who agreed to partner with me. I would do the technical part, start to make the, the whiskey. We got together, bought land, bought a building, built the building. Back in 2011, there were no classes to show you how to do this. There were no books about distilling. <laughs> it's a whole different world now. You, you can really just, you can, like you said once, earlier today. You know, you can see anything you want to see on YouTube and half of that stuff is pretty decent. But at that point, you had to figure it all out yourself. So we did that. We got it going. We got spent the whole year of 2011 getting permits, getting this place built. By the first day of 2012, we were distilling. I had a consultant that I found in Kentucky, brought him down. We started with moonshine. Um, a couple of years went by, kind of elevated myself through learning to a new level. And I realized I had a lot more questions now than I even knew I could ask three or four years ago. So at that point, I happened to stumble on Dave Pickerel at a trade show and uh, master distiller at, Ma at Maker's Mark. And he and Nicole Austin were paired together and they were kind of mentoring and helping some distilleries. And it turned out that we formed a relationship and Dave visited here in Linville two or three times, and every time he came, he would take me to it the next level. Over the months in between, I would learn some things. I got a whole new set of questions, and I will never forget how, how important he was to this distilling journey. Because when Dave would come after being gone for six months or a year, and he'd taste some of the things I'd made, and he, he'd say something like, hey, I'm liking that. <laughs> 
And I remember how my heart would just sing when I think, oh, man, I'm doing something right, you know. And then we'd talk and we'd spend the day and make a plan. And then he'd go to the still and he'd look and he'd turn to me and say, hey, can we play? And I'd say, man, do whatever you want to do. And he'd say, let's make it rain, you know. And we'd just do all different things with the reflux and the action of the still. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. Um, my wife got kind of ill in 2015 and 16. She's a cancer survivor. She's okay now. But that was a junction in my life where when Mark came along and Scott, it was good timing. So we, we had the change of ownership of the distillery about then. And we just discussed now that took us in a little bit of a different direction. But I'm happy with where we are now. I'm happy with the, the spirits that we created back then, which we're kind of seeing the fruits of now. Those are spirits we laid down in the very beginning. And so I like where we're going. I like also that Mark is open to the world of uh, experimentation, trying new things. Uh, we're not simply driven by what we think will sell. We're driven by what Mark likes, what I like, and what we as a company all together think is good. And that's what I like about working for a big machine distillery. I, I really do. That's a hell of a story. There's a lot to unpack there. I think, you know, it is very interesting for the people that do know the history of distilling in Tennessee that, you know, prohibition was not done until, you know, 2011, 2012, even 2013 in some counties. And, you know, Tennessee had to go county by county in order to get that fixed. There are still counties. Lynchburg is still a dry county, y'all. Jack Daniels, where Jack Daniels is made, is a dry county. I'm kind of interested because there are things, I mean, 2011, yeah, it seems like a long time ago and it was, but there were still tools, you know, the internet was still there. There still were some distilling books. You know, I know you said you had to figure it out and you got a consultant and all that stuff, but where'd you even go in the beginning? You're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Where'd you go for parts? What still did you use? What walk me through that process? It was a lot of, uh, who do you know? And trade shows was the big point of contact back then. So we would go to the uh, craft spirits or to uh, ADA and, and you talk from booth to booth to booth. Who do you know that can help us with this? And just by word of mouth and also by just making phone calls, we found out people who knew this guy, who knew that guy, give him a call. I made a lot of calls where the guy would say, yeah, I, you know, I, I know I know what you're looking for, but I'm not the guy. I, I don't do that. You know, I, I, I have that knowledge about what you need. But instead of me, try this guy or try that guy. A lot of times I'd have to call five or six people to find somebody willing to share something, even for money, to come up here and help. So it was a lot of that. And, and that yielded some pretty good results. A really good find, of course, was discovering... Uh, after some research, looking at some German stills and some other stills, that Vendome was right there in Louisville, and and we we made uh, we made good friends with the staff up there and the crew up there, and and Gordon Long helped us, uh, really really helped us with the design because we designed a couple stills up there, so they're unique to the world. Vendome was an excellent partner, still is for us. That was a big step in the right direction. You know, everybody talks about now it's like a two, three year wait for Vendome. But back then, I mean, it was still like a six to eight month wait, right? Exactly that. Six to eight months. Yeah. You know, you, you couldn't do any better. You had the choice of either taking it or leaving it. So, of course, where do you go? You know, and I wanted the powerful American design, American built powerhouse solid copper pot still. That's what we were after. We've never looked back from that. These stills, our workhorses work every day here in the distillery. We're very happy with that. I don't think we would have been happy with some other choices. You know, when you were first figuring it out, because you hadn't distilled before, this was a new career for you. What did you think about mash bills? Did you try a whole bunch of different ones? And are those mash bills the ones that have kind of carried over into Borchetta and Big Machine now? The mash bills that... I tried, I, I'm not ashamed to say I'm modeled after my knowledge of the Maker's Mark product because I like a weeded bourbon. 
So I wanted that to be a little bit forward in this mash bill. And yeah, we tried a lot of uh, a lot of versions of the mash bill that we have now, but we finally settled after some tweaking of about six months on the 741313 mash bill that, that we use. That's 74% corn, 13% malted barley, 13% hard red winter wheat. And I started this, um, and this is just uh, hypothetically, a man would have to start distilling in his house on a very small scale. And of course, that was illegal then and it's illegal now. So this is just hypothetical, but you could start <laughs> in your own kitchen with a, a one uh, a five liter, which is a little more than one gallon, uh, internet alembic still. And just don't use it on your wife's glass top stove because <laughs> you can ruin it. And uh, I know yeah, that. How do you fact. know that, Clay? Yeah, well, I think uh, just calculating, you know, it, it'll stick to the uh, the glass top and it'll take a big chunk out of it. And you're likely not to hear the end of it for a long time. So <laughs> that that's that. And then you go from there to a, a 26 gallon electrically fired still in your garage and you you experiment with mash bills and fermentation in 30 gallon Walmart garbage cans, plastic ones. You go from there to take that huge plunge to go to Vendome and order a 500 gallon pot still of your design and uh, and try not to look back. So that that's how you might do that if you wanted to get into the business of distilling. But the plumbing, that was everything uh, that was what I used to do was design processes and equipment. So I designed all the plumbing here, but for the steam lines and the pressure vessels, I had to hire somebody. But everything else, we did it here, sweat of our own backs. Going to go out on a limb and guess that um, somewhere that, that glass stovetop Probably never got completely left the, the house or the property. I'm sure the stove got replaced, but I feel like the top is still somewhere just as a memory, maybe, or hypothetically, you know. It maintains an honored position in both the history of this distillery and uh, my wife uses it from time to time as a, a very powerful bargaining chip, you know, in, in certain discussions that we have. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. That's one of the best things I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I love how you're going to be like, listen, it's been like 15 years. You're still going to bring this up? like <laughs> That one time, damn it. <laughs> you don't get a little still and start. I mean, there's so many people that have started their whole story that way where they were like, and even the master distillers now that are testing stuff out, they're not always, there's a whole distillery portion of it, but let's wink, wink, TTP, ATF, nobody's doing this, but we know distillers are taking a leader still home. They're tinkering and figuring out different experiments they want to do, and it might not necessarily be at the distillery. I think it's the nature of the business. If we stop experimenting, we're going to stop growing. You know, the you guys are aware that the American single malt is going to be a category one day. That's because people are experimenting now. They're pushing that. You know, they're kind of seeing where the horizon is going to lead us. Uh, what can we do? And in the United States, our history is take an idea and we run with it in a thousand different directions. So we're still staying within the, the traditions of whiskey that have been established in this country. And we always that, but we also like to push those boundaries from time to time. I'm one of those people who agrees with doing that. I, I enjoy doing that. I enjoy seeing what can happen that's new and different. Sometimes you find something that everybody else enjoys too, and I like seeing where that goes. Well, and literally, I mean, it, it keeps the juices flowing. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's on, enough on yeah, both there's sides of the coin. Exactly. There's nothing like, you know, opening up a barrel that's been for five, six or seven years in the making. And yeah, you, you may have uh, sampled that all along, but there's still that, that excitement of opening it up and, and getting that first nose and that first sip and seeing what you've got and seeing if what you thought was going to happen happened. And, uh, you know, Mark does that regularly. We've got barrels that got 10 and 15 spiles in there from Mark saying, I want to sample that barrel again. <laughs> it's been three months. I want to sample it again. Okay. So guys, while we've been doing this, um, I was looking to see what I had here. And did I like bring home barrel 511 or 411 and 517, which we had sent to you a, a red and a white. And, um, and I found over on my shelf, this barrel 368. And I'm going, I wonder what that is. And it's a kind of a low proof at 86. I'm going, what is this? And I open up my taste and I'm like, dang, 
this is really good. I'm, and I'm like, well, that makes sense. It must be why I have it here. I had no idea I had it. And I probably brought it home a year ago <laughs> when we were tasting the original for the original Borchetta bourbon. And I was literally texting here, Kylie and Cameron. And uh, Kylie is our VP of production who is really has as much of a love and passion for brown spirits as all of everybody here on this call. And she lives it. And she used to work for Maker's Mark before she came to us. And uh, I said, hey, do I have any more of this? She said, yeah, we've got a full barrel. It's the white corn. It's not LCP. It's this, it's that. And I'm like, dang, this is a good and it's a little unique flavor. And so it's fun to, to Clay's point, to pull stuff out and go, hey, where is it gone? What's it doing? And it's got a little fruitier, sweeter taste than, you know, some of our LCP stuff. And, you know, so it's fun. It, it, we have a blast with it. And I love that Clay has experimented all this time and, and I'll own up. I wasn't as supportive of some of the experimentation when we came on because I was tasked with a, uh, you know, with a job to come from a business standpoint. And, and I hope it, it, because I own up my own things, I know Clay probably doesn't mind a couple of things that, you know, I think when he built this, he thought it was a little bit of a feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come and didn't realize the harshness of this business. Um, it's rough out there. And I knew it was going to be a tough road for us to get, you know, some established credibility here, but we have, and, uh, and it's really neat to see these things that we've got that he was experimenting with and he's continued to experiment with. And, uh, and it's an exciting future for us. It couldn't happen soon enough because I don't know how long we go here, but to drop the bomb, you know, Clay came to me earlier in the year and said, you know, it's time for me to start phasing out. And, uh, and it took me some years to really appreciate his artistry. I knew it from day one, but really recognizing what he does and, and the specialness of what he has built uh, originally as 10 South Distillery and now Big Machine. So he's he's cut back his time here. And as of uh, the new year, he says that he's going to say goodbye. But it's so great to have something really special that has hit the market to allow us to be on podcasts and things like this and get some recognition. And I, and I keep telling him there's no way we're fully letting him go, that we're still going to keep him on uh, as a consultant and, uh, you know, make up all these excuses as to why. But uh, but it's really neat. Um, you know, the romance of a brown spirit right now is super cool with the bourbons. And uh, it, it's really exciting and special time for us to be doing this. And that Clay gets to see the fruits of some of his blood, sweat, and tears that he's put into this. As soon as he tears up another appliance, I think the consultant role is going to look a little more advantageous. You know, maybe not a ton of hours, but you know what? I need a reason to get out of here from time to time. Uh, can you call or text me and say you really, really need something about this time of the day or the week? And you know what? We're good, man. We are really good. <laughs> I mean, he might not even be paying you consulting money. You might be paying him to call the phone at a certain time. No, he might pay me to do it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. He, he might like, listen, I just need you, bud. Like I'll come down there. I'll just like pretend I did something, but no, I mean, I think in the sense, the consulting thing, I don't know if you're even like considering this clay, but you got to, because you're going to get bored. You're going to sit there. Everybody says retirement's going to be oh so great. But like, even if you go one day a week, it gives you something to do. Hey, uh, I probably agree with most of that. You look forward to retiring your whole life, but when you stand right on the threshold of walking through that door, it's terrifying, man. <laughs> You know, you, you don't know. You're right. You, you may be, it may not be what you think. I'm looking forward to that in both regards. I, I do want to keep a foot in here and I enjoy working with uh, the other distillers here and the other, the other people on this staff at all three locations. And I, I would miss that. So at least for that, uh, at least for that beginning time, we're going to, we're going to stay in touch and make something work that works for everybody. One thing you mentioned that I definitely wanted to touch on as well was kind of the experimentation with the corn varietals. And I think I picked up earlier when we were talking about the, the two different, uh, you know, samples we have here as far as the, the 517 and the 411. Red and blue or white and blue? And wheat. They're messing with the wheat too, buddy. Well, I, I know, but I feel like the corn was the, the, the big thing that was mentioned first, at least. So I, I was trying to at least keep somewhat of a direction here and not go completely off the rails. But all that being said... How much have you kind of, I guess, decided on or really found like, all right, I'll still tinker some, but these one or two are really my bread and butter, or is it still just kind of an open playing field? 
I'll let Clay get to the deep part of it because this was his gen. He, he, you know, this is totally his genesis, if we want to say it. Um, I just, when I tasted some of these out of the still, I absolutely fell in love with a red corn bourbon. I mean, and I want, and I still want to do a white dog with it. And I just, I bring, I had my um, state portfolio manager from uh, Florida up here with RNDC a couple of weeks ago, and we had some of that being distilled while he was here. And I said, dip your fingers into this. And we had the hearts going and he's like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? And I'm like, yep, that was my response. And you know, so that that's really fun, but I'll let Clay talk about why, where, and how, and what he feels. What I enjoy is, is the response just like that. When I hear how Mark feels about red corn, I don't feel that way personally about red corn, but I am thrilled to hear somebody else find that that is is something they really, really enjoy. The blue corn, the same. Those are the three main corns that we experimented with. We've always stuck with the the uh, open pollinated non-GMO white corn that's, that's just grown two miles from here. Good relationship with that. Good success with, I think, the spirits that we make with it. I think... Uh, you know, and that's Mark's department now is kind of to choose what he likes and, and what he thinks we can do something with, whether red, white or blue. I'm happy to keep making it. But as you guys know, we, we live four or five years in the future. So those decisions that are made today and tomorrow or this this fall's harvest for the corn, next spring's planning for the corn, we won't see the results of that for five, six, seven years. And and uh, a lot of a lot of. Uh, careful consideration that goes into decisions like that. So that's why I leave them to Mark. <laughs> and you might even get some like, you know, 4th of July type bourbon where you have a little bit of red, white, and blue. The idea I think has come up in this distillery. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's the marketing guy. So you can see him nodding, you know, yeah, there's possibilities there. I'm not surprised. It's just getting the right percentages. It might uh, be sooner than you think. And I, I'm excited to share some stuff with Clay next week uh, if this other project comes to fruition. Nice. And on the the gins, are those, I guess, obviously not probably the same mash bill you're using for the bourbon, but are you using, you know, a lot of the similar grains, et cetera, you know, when you make those through the still? Gin is the, it's a corn-based spirit, but that's where the similarity ends. And so that is uh, nine botanicals and a different process, different column. We use uh, some of those botanicals by soaking or maceration. Others go in the gin basket. That was a gin basket that uh, Vendome called us and said somebody ordered a gin basket and they uh, failed to come and take possession of it. We can make you a really good deal. Do you want it? And I kind of hesitated and I said, sure. And uh, I'm glad we did because we, we made some modifications to that. So we kind of improved the function of it. But I, I think we're happy with the uh, having a gin product in this world. And um, here's a, here's a, just a quick story I think is funny. We, we have a, you got time for that? I mean, yeah, uh, heck yeah, we do. <laughs> we don't like it. You can always you know, cut it out. But, yeah. you know, our, our tasting room girl is very Southern. She would okay. tell, I, she always told customers there's nine botanicals in the gin. And uh, I heard her one day talking to this couple from up north and they said, well, what's in it? And she said, well, there's non-botanicals in it. And uh, this guy from up north looked at his wife and, and he said, well, we don't, what's a non-botanical? <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously she said, well, I had to walk out the door at that point because I was laughing so hard, you know, <laughs> and I, I say that to people now, but that's just kind of a funny gin story, I think. But You told it better last week. We'll have to retell it better later in this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's great you guys do it, though. We, obviously, we're dads drinking bourbon, quote unquote, but I mean, we've always thought and said, like, especially if you're coming up off the ground, if you don't have clear or white, whatever you want to call products, how do you keep your lights on unless somebody's got a deeper pocket than John or I ever will? Those turn out quick. And if you do it right, you're going to reap you know, the rewards of it. And obviously that gets you other sources of revenue. Like it just makes so much sense. It's when, you know, some folks don't do it. And at least if they're distilling wise, it's like, how do you yeah. not want to try and get more money coming in the door in a few weeks versus four plus years you know like you said like how about you, you work towards getting have. in the black right like work towards getting in the black from the beginning instead of like hey we're gonna be in the red for five years and plus zeke i do have to just jump in because i wanted to say it before mark said it but you know, if you're not making those clear spirits you're not making like spike juice packs that's their bread and butter you you think like this bourbon stuff is great but that big machine vodka the the spiked 
get spiked whatever it is like spike coolers yeah that is that the number one seller out of everything yeah what happened was um i started pushing the vodka through which did lead very well because uh clay and my brother came up before i was involved with the distillery the two of them when scott bought the distillery came up with the idea of uh doing a big machine bourbon to go along with the very successful record label that Scott built. Some biggest artists in the world, Tim McGraw, you know, Rascal Flatts, Thomas Rhett, and Cheryl Crow, and these days even with uh, Justin Bieber and, and the whole Ariana Grande and all them. So he said, I want something that is, you know, big machine related. And so Clay said, you know, start talking to him about things and things they could do and going, hey, if we trickle vodka through platinum filtration system and scott's like platinum wow platinum records platinum vodka they came up with a platinum filtered 20 or 13 level column still running through that twice for purifying and smoothing out this vodka we have something really cool and when i came on board the first thing i did is said okay this vodka is going to work because it's many times distilled platinum filtered I said, just call, tell people it's the smoothest tasting vodka, period. And that was the, literally the first day that I came to Nashville. I said, make little cards that say that. And they're like, you can't taste smooth. That smooth is not a taste. I said, you need cigarette advertising lessons from the 70s. Don't talk to me about uh, what you good grammar or good taste. And I see Seek laughing his butt off back there. He knows what I'm talking about. And so I said, and back, Anyway, in three months, somebody's going to attack us and we're going to have to not use that slogan anyway. Well, multiple gold awards, double gold awards, silver awards later after four years, five years, we're still known as the smoothest tasting vodka, period. It's a great product and that starts to pay the bills. Well, then COVID hits and all of a sudden it's like, well, I want something even a little more disruptive than a platinum filtered vodka because that's such a crowded space. Every celebrity out there was doing a vodka. And so then we said, all right, let's experiment with pouches and take big machine vodka, put it into a pouch with, uh, with some fruit juices, uh, real fruit juice, no artificial sweeteners, Nothing fake about it. And over a million pouches within just over a year in like four states. And so that's growing huge. And that does lead our commerce, you know, venture. And that in our tasting rooms, we have an incredibly successful tasting room here, downtown Broadway, where you can get the barrel aged gin, you can get the Blackberry Moonshine, you can get the 140 proof Almighty Moonshine, you can get, you know, so many of our products are Southern Spice Rum, all those things. And then you can go over to Berry Hill and have what now Open Table has told us we're one of their top 10 places for brunch in Nashville. And it's like, wow. So anyway, we do that as marketing to lead so that we can feel so comfortable to make these spirits and give a little poor timing now that Clay's starting to phase out, but, you know, a little more uh, support to the Brown Spirits, you know, exploration and venture. But yes. Before we forget, I'll go ahead and uh, give a big shout out to, to Aaron Thompson. I know he's selling a ton of those pouches for you guys. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron's great. He takes so good care of John and I and always has. So. I get it. I'm gonna get the plug in now. Hopefully, listens at some point. But either way, hey, honestly, wait. Great how many guy. how many borchetta bourbons there you got stuffed away in your back pockets that Aaron gave you that I didn't know about? None. <laughs> I can't really talk about things. But Aaron is a great guy. Is all I will ever say about Aaron. All, all I know, all. <laughs> all I know is that I took one for the team, and I said I'd rather us have two samples instead of an actual single bottle. I said, let's do two samples and let's not be greedy. They don't have to be you know, full bottle samples. Zeke's over there getting a closet full of borchetta bourbon. Like something doesn't <laughs> seem right here to me, Zeke. I didn't confirm or deny anything. I just want to make sure we gave a shout out to Aaron Thompson again. Small world, small family and friends in, in this whole industry. And he takes wonderful care of us. So I, I did not want to miss that part. So the one thing I do want to mention, and you know, we did have to shout out Aaron and all that, but what's the plan? Do you have somebody in there who is sitting with Clay and apprenticing and learning? What What's going to happen come this first of the year? Or are you going to have to get called in a lot? I've been working with our two distillers, which are amazing women, for the last uh, 
three or four years. Uh, I think both of them have been there close to that long. But uh, in the last couple of years, my focus has shifted from trying to be the chief distiller here to trying to convey everything I know about distilling to those two women. So those are going to be the two main ones. And and then beyond that, Mark has some additional information probably. Well, I think, you know, these young ladies are um, very impressive because they have, the one thing I love down there is the three of them working together. Um, Clay knows I have these strange formulas I live by, and one of them happens to have a lot to do with ego. And when you can get your ego out of the way, you have so much opportunity to work well together, um, to allow of your talents and, and beautiful hearts and everything to come together. And uh, when I see the three of them, between them, there's zero ego. And um, they share information, they ask for help, they, they talk, and it's, it's really a powerful combination. Um, but we think that there still needs to be some, some maturity in there from an operational standpoint, uh, some leadership standpoint. So there are some explorations right now to see if we can get a senior person in. How that chemistry is going to work, I don't know the answer to. There's another important name here, Kylie Judge, who is a young lady who used to work at Makers, started as a bottler here four years ago, you know, making her $3 an hour or whatever it was to put vodka in bottles and came to me and wanted to build a touring program. Then she wanted to do our website and then she wanted to do this and that and the other. And she's now our vice president of production. And uh, they there's a great relationship between Kylie and everybody down in Linville, which was something that is more special than I was able to build on a weekly basis of staying in touch with everything. And so I think between Kylie and the little bit, we're going to keep clay on a leash. And then we have Markela and Haley down there and up here, we have a 250 gallon pot still right here on third Avenue, which is the only active distillery right on lower Broadway. And you two need to come up there. If you want any chance of an above the board bottle of Borchetta bourbon, you guys got to come do a podcast from Big Machine Distillery. Let's do it live on camera. Let's make it a special event and your pay will be a couple bottles of bourbon. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you guys got to come in there and hang. But I think, you know, that's really our future. There's no intent to slow down. There's no intent to veer away from anything we're doing. We want to build. We want to keep building all of this. I'm pretty much committed to it. This is this is my career to run this thing. Um, my brother loves it. Uh, he loves what we're doing together here with me and the team. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, Kylie loves spirits as much as uh, Clay and does and uh, lives it. And so I think that uh, we've got a good, good little culture here to build it. Yeah, that was one of the, the questions I had was, expansion of the line and as far as you know branding more mainstream uh distribution like what the i guess short middle and kind of long-term i guess goals or expectations are currently what a time to ask <laughs> i mean i didn't mean to hit you too hard but it was on oh, the paper so i had to throw it out there distribution right now is brutal I mean, you've got some of the biggest distributors in the country out there who can't deliver product to Target for three months. Literally, that's a truth. You've got such a dearth of staffing right now in this world. It's crazy. So we are very fortunate and very grateful to my brother's success in the record label and his love for this company and what we're doing to build through right now where we see a lot of the big guys they're making it the big distill the big suppliers but a lot of small suppliers are struggling right now really hard so when you ask that question i'm like wow let me just tear up everything that i had six months ago and uh you know we can't get bottles you can't you know shipping costs are just killing us and we were one of the last to really look at pricing because if we were going to go right alongside or you know ahead of the big guys with raising our prices they're going to kick us out but now everybody has raised prices and so what we do now is go all right we're surviving this craziness to a degree but our goal is i want to be one of the biggest suppliers out there i really do now, can we produce that much brown juice? No, we will have to partner up ultimately, but we have standards and we can produce a, a good amount of juice. But we want to be really big with the pouches and we have some more creative things coming there and with the spike coolers. We want our vodka to be one of the most popular vodkas out there. And then we want our brown spirits to always be 
appreciated for its quality and, you know, just the fact that we can't make that much of it. Will we do a mingled, you know, in a higher quantity? Yeah, at some point. But I always want the bourbon to be never more than 2,000 bottles a year, period. Just because, number one, my esophagus is destroyed after I have to taste like 75 to 100 barrels within like two to three months of, because Kylie's there going and Cameron's up there, my executive assistant, who is just key to this operation as well we're sitting up there till 10 o'clock at night some nights just tasting these these things and i'm like okay i i, I think i like this one you know um I know, okay. yeah. yeah there's two people that will help you <laughs> if you ever need that like so just keep that in your back pocket for next year guys cut you off. i'm telling you what you want to come <laughs> to hang at third and we do this we'll have some fun with that stuff let you guys you know, in on some of this single barrel tasting, taste right out of the barrels. Let's say, you know, we'll have some fun. Let's, you guys are great. Let's pick Borchetta bourbon for next year. We're with you. You can pick a couple barrels <laughs> with me. <laughs> you can pick a couple barrels with me. He said tasting, um, not picking, John. Come on. Oh, okay. Well, we could, <laughs> we can, John? we can taste while he picks. Like, that's fine too. We'll just be there encouraging you. We'll be cheerleaders. I don't know if I told you guys, but last year, um, Kylie comes to me and Cameron, they're going, um, so the 150 proof barrel that you chose. And I'm like, no, no, stop, guys. I did not choose 150 proof barrel. She's, yeah, you liked barrel, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what it is. And uh, it's 148.8 proof. I said, bring it up to me. I said, let me taste it right now. So we're out of the sample. I said, send it up from Linville. And I want to blind taste it with these other things. And I always blind taste with other product. And I say, okay, wow, I'm going to say this is ours. This is so-and-so's. This is this. This is that. And I may not be any good. You may hate what I like. And I may say it's got, you know, caramel with essence of rosebud and, you know, and and 3% of whatever, eucalyptus. And you go, you're nuts. But six months later, I'll taste something and I'm going to go, hey, you know, I think I got some eucalyptus hint there and some rose, not rose petals, but like essence of rose blossom or something. And they're like, you, you're whacked because you said rose blossom, you know, six months ago in this and eucalyptus or whatever. So I do have a consistent palette. But anyway, so all of that said, yeah, I got lost there on that one. <laughs> Sorry, uh, it's my fault. I, it's, I take, no, I'll take that hit. No, but tasting these things... It, well, I don't know. We'll throw that all out. And if there was something that later, you can use it. But um, 148.8 proof. They said you you chose 148.8 proof barrel. And we blind tasted it. And I'm going, none of these is 148.8. And one of them was so smooth. It was a 15-gallon barrel, probably eight years old. I said, barrel that because it's good. And we only got 15 bottles out of it. And so I keep all those in my private collection. <laughs> And uh, I've given out one to a very special friend. (laughs) That's awesome. My throat is destroyed after a couple of months of doing all this. And uh, you guys are, I would love it if you guys want to come up and join one day and just just do it live and go, hey, we're tasting this. And and it'd be a blast. For sure. Definitely down. Well, that'll be one of the days that we pay Clay or Clay pays me to get out of the house (laughs) and come be with us. We'll, We'll all do it together with Kylie and Cameron taking their notes and, and dishing out the stuff to me and i do have no. to say i know we are coming to time clay is tired yeah, that's my bedtime clay is very tired but i do want to mention i we don't have to go in specific zeke if there's specifics you want to say about this just appreciate the pours i i don't want to go through this podcast and say that i did not drink this borchetta bourbon the number 411 and 517 i think i kind of i mean i like them both they're both definitely there 411 i think for me it was my favorite over 517 i don't know how you felt zeke but they both were pretty good i would have guessed that about you uh, i figured you would have um no i mean <clears throat> obviously folks won't be able to see that we've been sipping and tasting among other things and having a good time here tonight my quick notes for 411 the raisin nets was the first thing that popped in my head yeah Very unique to me for bourbon but i mean i i it popped in my head and I, I couldn't break away from it. Um, but it was just very chocolatey with just a dark fruit component to it. I, I thought it had a, a really fair singe. It wasn't overpowering, but there was a really good singe to it. And like the only tweak, I guess I would say I have was that the singe just slightly seemed to beat out the flavors on the finish. 
But again, that's being very like nitpicky. So I'll give it that it's due for five seventeen. Um, I thought, especially compared to like four eleven, it really reminded me of just straight up like honey grams. My daughter's big on eating those things right now. Could be a fresh flavor on my palate, but literally it was just very honey gram ish. Uh, lighter fruits and a lighter singe, also a little bit thinner, but the profile. I mean, I could sit there with that and just smile at you guys all day and be like, whatever you offer me. No, I'm good. I, I'm going to hold on to what's in my hand. Y'all, y'all keep passing the other ones around. I, I'm good here with uh, Mr. 517. <laughs> I did also note, though, that like, I feel like in this day and age, we use the term, I think everybody does, craft feel gets thrown out a lot or like sawdust. The other terms, especially using a high corn mash bill. And if you're trying different varietals that people aren't familiar with, or however they come off the steel may not be the best for that particular grain. And and I'm saying that simply because I didn't get that in either one of these at all, which I think is something that um, anyone that breaks away from like, you you talked about the, the main brands and you know, everybody's used to those profiles and like heaven Hill has this beam has that, et cetera. But when you go to a craft, to me, that's one of the first things you look for and hopefully don't get is just, again, that craft feel, quote unquote, sawdusty, the corn's not quite where you want it to be. And, and you really can't perceive any of the other grains that are in there or the flavors. And, and again, I don't get that at all. And to me, that was the most exceptional point of both products. Yeah, they were good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what Cameron would do. Yeah, I like this one. Oh, great, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Clay um, and I, or Kylie, the three of us will have our list of notes as well. And and I have milk chocolate written down. So maybe there's your resinets thing. I think when it comes to honey grams, well, that's because what you just ate. Um, and there's still honey gram on your palate that, that just like in your teeth. Um, and then you're like, Cameron, what do you think? I like this one. Oh, good. Thanks. No, I was playing comic relief. I mean, Zeke knows once we start getting over an hour here on the recording, he knows I get a little antsy in my pantsy. And, uh, oh, I thought you were being serious that that was really all he had to say. No, no, no. I would typically have, you know, a lot of tasting that, I mean, I, I will just say sometimes, it is good to really just appreciate the poor. And sometimes it is okay to say, hey, that was really good. And there's there's moments for me, at least in, in whiskey nowadays, where I just really enjoyed the conversation with y'all tonight. And it's one of those ones where I don't need to go into the tasting notes to know that like this was a good pour with good friends. And that's all that really mattered in tasting notes on that tonight, you know? You know, on that note, I think that these bourbons, what I find different is that they're not up north. You know, you get, you're, I, I find them to be lighter, fruitier bourbons. And I find these to be, sometimes I call them a little more masculine. And I never know, really know why, but it's more of a library room, cigar smoking type of a bolder, smokier product for me. You know, Clay uses the Char 4. And so I just think they're just a smokier, heavier, bigger bourbon in general than what you get up in Kentucky. And he's got that sugar maple and he's got that sugar maple, uh, um, you know, charcoal. The other thing about it is I would say where it really dips in, you get some fruits and you get some of the normal tasting notes. But if you want me to be specific, because I do, it's mid palate. So it's right kind of when it dips down. And it's going through your mouth and it gets mid palate. There is this smokiness to it with a little bit of oak and a little bit of leather that really kicks in. And I think that's why you're saying masculine, right? Because those are typically things like this is my test and it's not anything that's sexist or anything like that. It's the candle test. If somebody's telling you that those notes are going to be in a masculine candle like that is sold at a men's store and it's stuff like that. That is everything that hits me mid palate, not sandalwood, but like, you know, it's the oak, it's leather, it's, it's smokiness. It's stuff that you would associate with men's candles that dips down and not in a crafty way. Right. And there's plenty of people. Zeke was mentioning it. It's not a craftiness to it, but there is a little bit of, of, singe not too much that it overtakes the palate but it's a little bit of heat when it dips down there for me it's kind of a manly pour you know not a it's it's kind of one of those pours that you know 
it's good. It's very good. It's just that smokier side of things. And if you enjoy that smokiness, the borchetta, if you sat there and you were on the back deck with a cigar, that would pair very, very, very well with a cigar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank God you didn't say sandalwood or we couldn't be friends. No, it's, no there's no sandalwood on there, but I'm just, I was, it was a metaphor. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I know. But yeah, I think that um, the approach of these, like I say, is usually I can pick these our, ours out from, you know, from everything else that I taste when I blind taste against um, the others. And Kylie picks a lot of, you know, a variety of stuff to blind taste with me when I taste our stuff. Because the last thing I want is to only be tasting our product and not know what else is out there that people are comparing us to. And if they're saying, hey, you know, I'm liking, you know, single malts. Well, okay, great. You're liking single malts or, hey, I'm liking, you know, the lighter Kentucky bourbons or, you know, I'm liking a Basil Hayden or I'm liking a whatever, you know, they've never had a whistle pig or, you know, it's just, I like to just compare all of those and really just see where we stand against it. And even though I can say, hey, I think this is ours versus theirs, and nine out of 10 times I'm right, you just got to appreciate what we're doing and this style of what we're doing versus appreciating, you know, what Angel's Envy is doing. You know, we're not as fruity and light and, or not light, but, you know, so it's a different approach. Well, like you said, too, I mean, I think the best part of drinking people consistently is we all have different notes that resonate for whatever reason. They probably go back back to your senses. We were kids, yeah. random things. But as you become familiar, you know that when I say tomato, it resonates as you know something else in your world. But we both know like that's what this flavor is. That's what they're getting. That's what I'm getting. And then we can you know then you can all like synergize and lock it in. Like yeah. literally, when John said four eleven was his favorite, I'm like saw it coming completely. But we obviously drink all the time so we, we get each other and it's yeah again, there's never a right or wrong it's just funny like to pick up the nuances so that when you try something like oh you're gonna love this it's not necessarily my favorite but man like go buy a case right now because this is your jam like that's to me that's the best part well and when you say tomato of course i hear tomatoes so <laughs> i had to i had to be that bad you laid that one up what, what i remember from you know my pal i learned early on just i was just you know kind of graced with a consistent palate and um so I used to blind taste 61 Bordeaux with guys when I worked in the restaurant business years ago as a wine steward. And, um, you know, I could pick out the La Mission Aubryon versus, uh, you know, whatever, a Palmer or Chateau Lafitte. And um, then I would go and we'd have all the wine, ad- we'd have the top guys from Wine Spectator, Wine Advocate, whoever else. And every single one of their notes from their tables was different. Table two, there's guy, you know, James Beers. Oh, I'm the daughter, daughter, daughter. Somebody's over here going, well, I see this. Everybody's going to describe it differently. But to your point, you kind of knew where John was going to like and where he was going to go with this. Um, And vice versa. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) He knew, Zeke. Don't think you've got a leg up on John. Oh, no. But no, that's Uh, the the fun, though. I mean, we love that more than anything. Shit, we've been doing this since 2016. If I don't know what he's going to like and he doesn't know what I'm going to like, then like we should just quit. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. And no, I mean, again, you're all going to have, everybody's going to have their own preference. Everybody's going to have their own description. It's an enigma, ultimately. The great thing is, is that right now there's a huge romance for brown spirits and uh, especially the word bourbon, which is amazing for us. You know, I wore this Borchetta bourbon hat down to Aruba at the Ritz Carlton a couple months back. And man, I was stopped three times a day. What's that bourbon? I'm a bourbon collector. What's that bourbon? I'm a bourbon collector. I've interviewed and happened to hire, you know, for a GM and an executive chef and, or not executive chef and GM. And then, um, Somebody else I was talking to today, and he's like, oh, I've got 146 bottles of bourbon at home. I'm like, da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, dang, I'm just glad we're on this gravy train because <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a romance, <laughs> and I don't know how long it's going to – I hope it lasts forever. Just like, you know, you've got your people who love their Bordeaux and the people who love their white burgundies. I happen to be a white burgundy fanatic and all that. And uh, dang, there's just people who just love this concept of, I'm a bourbon collector. Great. <laughs> it has grown immensely. Well, all I will say is we hope it keeps growing for y'all. Clay, we wish you all the best in trying to retire. We hope that you relax. We hope 
that you have some fun and we hope that you get back and annoy Mark a little bit. Mark. And avoid the stove. Yes. <laughs> He's not cooking on my stove. <laughs> I, I can guarantee it. I can accomplish all those things early next year. Yes. Mark, it's a pleasure having you on as always to Cameron. Just a shout out. Thank you for everything. Even though you're there black screen muted, just babysitting us we we appreciate you more than you know and uh folks go ahead and find us on facebook at dad's drinking bourbon twitter at bourbon dad's instagram at dad's drinking bourbon find big machine everywhere big machine distillery find them on the instagram find them on twitter find them on facebook go to their distilleries there's one in linville there's one in berry hill there's one on third avenue there's a ton of places you can go to Big Machine Story. Mark, Clay, thank you both again. It's changing for various reasons, but at the moment it's called Abernathy because we're on Abernathy, 1800 Abernathy Road in Linville. And Clay did all that. You know, he did great jobs with all his labels. Um, they're just so great looking. And uh, so he put the Tennessee State Mockingbird on here and stuff. But we will be... Uh, changing it but at the moment it is abernathy gin and it is good i can't wait for you guys to come to third ave have a blast and you'll taste this stuff and uh, it, it's great mock yeah Ing. sorry i won't do that to everyone zeke where else can the folks find us good old nashville tennessee cheers thank you guys so much uh, thank you guys honestly the great product play done wonders many many smaller craft places we don't mind saying like Mm, you missed the mark. So I'm going to cut you off there. I don't know where the hell you're going with this. (laughs) Bye. Drinking more than me. What?